Thanks for being here. Great to have you. Good crowd on a Thursday uh, in the middle of fall break. Beautiful weather outside. And you folks either have nothing going on in your life or you really love Jesus. But we're glad you're here. And uh, welcome our online community. Tell them, man. Good to have you wherever you're at, okay? Good to have you today. Okay, you ready to study? Anybody ready to study? Okay. I know, you know, it's 7.30 at night, but we're going to do this, okay? We're going to study together something I hope will make a difference in how we are living our life. Now, if you know the name that I'm about to mention, Paul Newman, a very popular American actor, if you recognize the name Paul Newman, then probably the first of every month is your favorite day because that's when your social security check shows up. So... Paul Newman was known uh, in his day for his uh, blonde and blue, blonde hair, blue eyes, and movies like Cool Hand Luke and The Sting, and they even used his voice in one of Disney's uh, animated movies called The Cars. And uh, I heard an interview one time with Newman, and he told one of his favorite stories that he ever experienced in his profession of acting. He apparently was in Kansas City. And he was filming a movie I'd never seen before called Mr. and Mrs. Bridge. And so uh, I checked it out. That was made in 1960. So if you watch that one, then, um, wow, we got to get you home and get in bed. So um, back in the day, he uh, he was filming that. And there was a break in the filming, and he went across the street from where they're filming to an ice cream shop. And he walked in there, and he got in line. He was going to get him an ice cream cone, and there was a lady in front of him who happened to be uh, getting a, a cone or stuff, she turned around and she saw who was behind her. She saw the actor, Paul Newman. When she saw him, she started to hyperventilate a little bit and her hands started to shake and she could barely talk and she almost fell down. I mean, the lady was losing her mind and she finally calmed down a little bit. She ordered her ice cream cone, she paid for it, she left the store. Newman said a few minutes later, this lady comes back in, and she walks to the front of the line where Newman is. She's still obviously nervous, and he looked at her and said, did you forget your ice cream cone? And she went, she couldn't even talk. <laughs> and he said, you, you put it in your purse with your change. <laughs> now, I know we're not all actors and actresses, but can you imagine what a world would be like if all of us held each other to such high self-esteem that it took our breath away to be in each other's presence. Can you imagine a world like that? And that is exactly what Jesus imagined himself. He thought of a world like that, and he explained it in one of the very first recorded sermons we have of his. He talked about a world like that where we treat each other with that incredible esteem. And the punch of the message for Jesus in his sermon that we're going to see today as we study is that he is counting. I want you to hear this, church. He is counting on you and I teaching the world how to do that. Because the world stinks at it. And Jesus said, I need you to change that narrative for them. 
Now, we're in week two of a, a four-week study we're calling Kingdom Invasion, and it's a very brief glance at Jesus' first sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. If you were here last week or watched this online, you know that Jesus went up into probably a, a, a ledge somewhere in a, in a hill, and he stood on there and preached his very first sermon we have, and that's why they call it the Sermon on the Mount. And so we're spending about a month here where we're just kind of taking a bird's-eye view at that message, and last week in the introduction to it, we talked about something that is intimately connected with what we're going to talk about today. And so we've got to spend a little bit of time taking last week and connecting it to this week. And this is where we need your mind to engage for a minute and show this connection. This is really important for people my age but it is crazy important for young people to see this. It is crazy important for people who have the rest of their life ahead of them to understand what Jesus did with this. Now, as we, as we would go back last week, we're not gonna revisit that whole concept of what we did last week, but we, we established the fact early on that when Jesus came out in this message, the very first thing that he suggested that we understand is that the kingdom of the world, out there, the world that we live, that that kingdom will be in direct contradiction to his kingdom, me and you. And so right out of the gate, when he opens up his message, he reminds us that they, they will not like us. They will not like us. They will not agree with us. They will ridicule us. They will lie about us. They will cancel us. They would be fine if you and I didn't exist anymore. And Jesus comes right out of the gate and says that early in that message. What we talked about last week. And so the reaction when you and I hear that and when we experience in a world that seems to be losing its mind right now, how do, how do we react to that as, as normal human beings? And the natural reaction is, let's just kind of stick our head in the sand, let's be turtles, you know, stay away from the crazies, okay? We don't have anything to do with that. And just be quiet so they, they don't go nuts on us. And that's our reaction. And Jesus says in his sermon, that is the opposite of what I want. And, and what, I, what I long for, and we established that last week, is that Jesus said, I want the kingdom of God, you and I, to invade that world. Don't run away from it. Don't be afraid of it. But take the values that we have as the kingdom of God and take those values and invade the world. And so we're talking about this idea of kingdom invasion, how we take the kingdom of God and invade it into the world. And as we suggested in our introductory message, Jesus said, here's two metaphors of how you can do that. Go be salt and go be light. And so we talked about those last week. And so this idea of salt is preventing decay in the world. This idea of light is showing a world the way, a world that's lost its way. By the way, I read in my, in my research, I found this interesting, that the Romans in the day of Jesus, they paid their soldiers in the military with salt. 
because salt had such incredible value. I also found out that in the Latin uh, language that they take the word salt that you and I use, and in the Latin language, it was translated salarium is where we get our word salary. And so what Jesus was saying was that you and I cannot overestimate how terribly important this is, that the world needs us to be salt. It needs us to be light. Can I say this? The world has no hope but us. And so Jesus said, invade that world, even though that world is against you. Now, that's all kind of the introduction of the message that we have from Jesus, and the natural follow-up to that, which leads us to today, is, okay, how do I do that? And, and we kind of walked out of here last week kind of, okay, all right, man, we're going to be salt, we're going to be light. And, and now we say, okay, how do I do it? And Jesus says, man, I'm glad you asked that. Because as soon as he established the fact that he wants us to invade the world with salt and light, he then immediately in the Sermon on the Mount began to explain how you do that. And this is fascinating. This is where I need your mind right now to engage with me to see how beautiful and powerful and practical the word of God is. Because Jesus says, let's be salt, let's be light. And then he said, here's how it happens. And he immediately told us these two things. He said, I'm gonna tell you one thing, don't ever do this, don't ever do this. This is not salt and light. And then he said, but I want you to do this. And this is what salt and light is. Now, let me show you real quick what he told us not to do. And that is do not be a person of phony religion. And we're not gonna dive into that because that's not the point of the message here. But he's talking about people who think, they think, man, I got it together with God. I know what I'm doing. I got it all happening. And Jesus said they are completely phony for a very specific reason that you're gonna see in a minute. And here's where this is gonna be heavy. Um, I'm, I'm predicting that a lot of you in this room right now, within a half hour, you are not gonna be happy that you came, okay? <laughs> because there are people right there, including me at times. So he said, don't do that. But here's what I want you to do. Now, now watch this, watch this, put it up here. I want you to have radical relationship with people. Don't miss this, don't miss this. The world hates us, opposed to us. Don't run from it, invade it, be salt, light. How do I do that? You have radical relationship with people and for the next 32 verses, Jesus talks about how we treat people. It is one-third of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is suggesting that if you know how to radically relate to people, that is the sign that you are salt and light. And people who do not know how to radically relate to people, guess what? 
That's these people. That's these people. And so Jesus then goes in to this whole concept of the world needs us to teach them how to treat people. Now think about that. Of all the things that Jesus could have said about being salt and light, I mean, what's that mean, Jesus? Remember we, last weekend when we were here and we turned our lights on in the dark room and we said, now go be the light. And, and you think, well, what's that mean? And Jesus said, here's what it means. Go treat them and show them how we deal with other human beings because the world desperately needs to know because they stink at it. I had breakfast uh, with a, a small group of people from our staff, uh, what we call our management team here recently, and we were having breakfast and we invited um, a local pastor friend of ours to come and be with us, and we were gonna pick his brain on some things. And I was telling the guys there, particularly this, this uh, kind of guest pastor at our breakfast that morning, about a church that Susan and I visited in Indianapolis uh, when I was on my study session. And I was, I was telling the group there, and, and particularly this pastor, I said, man, this place was craziness, man. It was incredible. Uh, their property and their building were just, I mean, off the charts. Everything was clean, and it was classy looking, man. You pull in, and you could just tell, man, I am somewhere, okay? You ever pull into an area and think, oh, man, I'm going to get me murdered in three minutes, okay? This was the exact opposite of that. Man, I am in some classy, classy area right here. There were thousands of people there, man. You could tell there is something happening at this church. People were friendly. They were happy. They might have been faking it, but man, they were happy and they were helpful. The worship service was unbelievable. And I, I, I tell people all the time that what God has given us here with musical talent and people who are really genuine in their faith, what we have in worship, it is the best that I know of. Let me say that one they're close second, okay? They're close second, man. It was something else. The, the sermon was a wow to me. This guy was an incredible communicator. I learned things about the, the Word of God I, I never knew about. I'm walking out there going, man, I never knew that. They were in love with their community. The weekend that we were there, uh, they got up and announced, they said, we want to know how many teachers are here because they were starting school up in the Indy area at that point. And so all the educators stood up, and there were hundreds of them, and they said, if you're an educator on Online. We want you to stand up in your room wherever you And they said, here's the deal. They put this number up on the screen. They said, why don't you text that number today? We're going to send you a $75 gift card that you can use for your classroom and whatever. They gave hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars away. And so I'm sitting here having this breakfast, and I bring that church up to this guy, and I said, this place, man, this was an amazing place. And he said, yeah, I know about the church, man. It is incredible. It's one of our best churches we have in the Midwest. And then he asked a question I had never thought about, and I almost fell out of my chair. He said, if there's such a great church, how come people in Indianapolis are still murdering each other? And that was Jesus' point in the sermon. 
What Jesus was bringing up in the sermon is that great churches and authentic followers of God, they are not identified by how many of them are gathering, although that's important that you're here. And great churches and authentic believers and followers of God are not identified if they have worship services that are engaging and captivating, although that's important what we do here. And great churches and authentic followers are not identified by whether their preacher is any good or not, although I hope that's important to you. None of those things are the key. Watch this. This is earth-shattering when you see it. Jesus said this, look, look at this. Jesus identifies great churches and authentic followers of God by whether or not they are impacting the way people in the world treat each other. You wanna know if God really has your heart and you're following him, then you're living in a way in the world that you're exampling, you're modeling, you're teaching them this is the right way to treat people because the world needs it because they stink at it. Now, before you jump into the specifics of that, I want to show you, um, before I, I detail how Jesus did it in his sermon, I want to advance about three decades beyond this day Jesus is on the mount. And I want to advance another 30 years or so, and I want to tell you something that the Apostle Paul did with this. And, and you might be aware of what I'm going to bring up because what he, what he did with this concept that you and I are to be a model of how we treat people is almost mind-boggling in today's day and age. So we've talked before about the, um, the church in Corinth and so you've got a couple letters in your Bibles. 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians are letters that Paul wrote to that church. And the first letter that he wrote, he wrote it specifically to answer some questions they had about some problems that were going on in their church. And so we've talked about that before. Corinth was kind of a messed up place. And so they asked Paul, well, what should we do about this? And what should we do about that? And apparently, in the church there, let's just kind of think of it like Eastside here, apparently there were some people in the church, Christian people, who were having some conflicts with each other, and they weren't able to work out those conflicts, and they were of some sort of a legal nature, and so because they couldn't come to agreement about how to deal with the conflict, they were taking them to the judicial system in the Roman Empire and allowing non-Christians to make judgment. They were suing each other. And so let's kind of put some teeth into that. Let's play with this a little. Let's say you and I are neighbors, okay? We're next door neighbors. And let's say you and I have a debate about where the property line is. And let's say there's about a 10-foot uh, section there that I think it's here and you think it's there. And we're just kind of uh, going back and forth on that. And you and I can't figure that out. And so one of us kind of gets bent out of shape and we file a lawsuit against the other person to get our 10 foot of property. So let's say that's happening here at Eastside. And so Paul addresses it and he brings up something that in today's standard is absolutely ludicrous. It's ludicrous. But here's what he said. Christians... Don't sue Christians in non-Christian courts. We don't do that. 
Why would we not do that? Because if we do that, we lose the opportunity to teach a world how to treat each other, a world that already stinks at it. And so now we don't look any different than them. And so Paul said, Christians do not sue Christians and take it to non-Christian courts to settle. We don't do that as Christians. In fact, what he said is almost so out of place and hard to understand that it's just so far beyond anything that we would do today. Look what he said in the fourth verse of chapter six. He said, therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, so let's think of the 10-foot property line, if those things are going on, appoint as judges even men of little account in the church. You know what that means? Here's what that means. Let me be blunt with it about it, okay? He's saying, if you can't figure it out, find somebody in the church who will be the judge of that rather than to take it to a, to a non-Christian court. And when he says little account, he says this. It'd be better to have a dumb Christian than an intelligent pagan to help you out. He said, find anybody who can help with that. Do not go to that court because you're losing the opportunity to do what Jesus said in his very first sermon. You need to be the salt and light. How do I be salt and light? Teach the world how we deal with people. That's what it means to be salt and light. And so if you sue people, then that ain't gonna happen. And if this verse doesn't just kind of cause you to go, what? Watch this. Look what he said a few verses later. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? So here's what I would do. I'd rather you have the 10 foot of land and me not have it than to go out there and lose the opportunity to teach them how God's people treat people. That is radical. And that shows you why this is so incredibly important what Jesus does with this. You may never have noticed that in the Sermon on the Mount, that Jesus goes right for the jugular and says, we need to teach them how to treat people. And for the next 32 verses, he begins to open up the specifics of that. Now, an appropriate way of studying that would be to take the time that is necessary to dive into the weeds of these 32 verses and use a surgical microscope to find out every, uh, uh, every iota that Jesus brings up. I would estimate that would take us at least seven weeks of, uh, of study. That's not our purpose today. Our purpose today is to take a telescope and to look from 40,000 feet and just let me show you some of the themes that come up about how Christian people treat people. And the reason we do that, because we're salt and light and the world needs it. And if we don't teach it, nobody will ever teach it. And so there are some themes here. And I just wanna kinda whet your appetite with a few of them. And as I do them, I want you to personalize it as best you can. And I'm gonna talk to you a little bit, a bit about that I, I try to do that myself, try to personalize it. When I show you some of these themes, I want you to ask yourself, just you, do I teach that? The way that I treat people at work 
And uh, when I'm going to the ballpark, when I'm shopping somewhere, when I'm driving down the road with crazy people who don't know how to drive, am I teaching these themes in how I treat people? Am I being salt and light? Here, here's one. I want you to see it. Stay instead of quit. Now, this is going to ruffle a few feathers and going to bother you, but I want you to hear this. If you are a follower of God, don't raise your hand because we're all going to look at you and think, shame, shame on you. But as a follower of God, have you ever had a relationship in your life where in your mind you said, I'm done with you? I'm done. And understand that if you've ever got to that point that most of us have probably had times in life where we do, I, I want you to understand that may not be the optimum approach because the theme that Jesus brings into this is that we do not quit on relationships. Now, I want to throw a caveat here that I think I need to say. I'm convinced beyond any shadow of a doubt that Jesus is not talking about relationships of abuse where you might be physically or emotionally harmed and you need to distance yourself from them. I don't think Jesus is addressing that at all. He's talking about times where somebody lets us down, somebody does us wrong, and we finally get to the point where we say, you know what, we're done, we're done. And Jesus said that that is not what the world needs to hear us teach because the world does that. And so look at what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. This is right after the conversation about salt and light. Watch this. This is being salt. Watch. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, that means if you're at church and they're passing the offering tray, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. It goes on. Next verse. First go and be reconciled to your brother and then come off your gift. That means you're in church and we're taking offering and you remember, oh man, I wrote somebody off my life. Jesus said this, leave it and go take care of them. Leave right now, go take care of them. Now there's something about that verse that I don't like as a preacher. Because if we did that literally, all y'all get up and leave right now. I wouldn't have anybody to preach at. Now, what I do like about it is that Jesus said, uh, leave your offering before you leave, okay? And then when you come back, give another offering, okay? I really like that part, okay? This is radical stuff. Why would Jesus bring this up? Why? Listen to this. Here's the theme. What do Christians do in relationships? When we get a little sideways and we have problems and tension and we all do, what do Christians do? Listen, we reconcile. We reconcile. We come together and reunite when we have conflict. We never accept permanent division. Now let me rattle you. As soon as he said that, he then started talking about marriage. Every married person in this room knows what we're talking about right now. Every married person in this room knows what we're talking about. So here's, here's the theme. Watch this. Okay, they don't like us. But don't run away from them. Don't be afraid of it. You got to invade the world. You got to get out there because they need you. What do they need? They need me to teach 
that we don't give up on people. We don't write people out of our lives. Now, that right there is enough for me to start shuddering a little bit, but let me throw another theme at you. Another theme that comes up is this one, is that we tolerate instead of react. Now, let's, let's get a little business here. I want you to go ahead and raise your hand. I want to see how many uh, honest, corrupt people we have in the room, okay? You ever want to punch somebody right in the throat? Raise your hand if you have. Oh, wow! I didn't know we were as horrible of a church as we are. Okay, the hand just went oh, like this, okay? Most of the time that happens, well, sometimes it happens just because some people like punching people in the throat, okay? You ever see a two-year-old boy? He just walks through the house, he's punching people, okay? And sometimes those two-year-olds become 42-year-olds. Am I right, huh? 62, you see what I'm saying? But here's how most people get to that point is that we do it as a reaction. That you did something to me and I'm going to give an equal reaction back. And Jesus said, that's not what we do. The world does that. That's what the world does. And we got to teach that there's a different thing that we do. And so Jesus said this. This is as radical as what Paul said about lawsuits. Look what Jesus said. He said, if somebody strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Would somebody in the room say, what? What are you talking about? I have been ruined by this verse since getting employed here at Eastside Christian Church. I've said this probably three or four times in my ministry here, but when I was here really early in the early days of being at Eastside, our brother John Talbot, whom we all love, preached about that text, and he told a joke about it. It ruined the verse for me. Every time I see it in the Bible, I think of the joke. So let me repeat his joke. I've said it a couple times. If, if you've been here before, you've heard it, so laugh at the right time. And, uh, and if you've never heard it, this is worth the price of admission tonight, okay? So John told us a story about that verse about a retired professional boxer who'd become a preacher. And so he's preaching one day in his church, and there was a guy while he was preaching started heckling him from the audience. Like one of you rascal people just start yelling things. And finally that guy stood up, he came up on the stage, and he was yelling at that preacher that I don't agree with anything you're saying. And he walked up and he punched the preacher right in the jaw in front of the whole church. And the church knew what he used to do for a living. And they thought, oh, man, this guy don't know. And the preacher came back, and he walked up to the guy, and he turned his cheek. And the guy hit him in that cheek, knocked him down. The church thought, oh, no, what's going on? And the preacher got up and took his jacket off and walked over to the man and lifted up his fist. And he looked at his church and said, the Lord has given me no further instructions. I like that. But that's not the spirit that Jesus taught, was it? Because Jesus said this. Here's what Jesus said. We don't react. We tolerate. With grace and mercy, we hold back negative reaction way more than we ever react with attacks. Now, why would we do that? Why would you go to work tomorrow and tolerate that person? Why would you go home tonight and tolerate that person? Why would you do that? Well, one reason is because 
he tolerates us, right? But here's the reason Jesus said, because the world stinks at that. That's you being salt, that you being light, that you teaching a world, this is how we treat each other. We tolerate, we don't react. Now, now watch, I, want, I just want to throw one more theme to you. And you're starting to see what Jesus did with us. He said, love instead of hate. And you think, oh, that looks cute. You know, you'd think you'd say that here in a church. But I want you, I want you to see something here. A lot of Christian people have favorite verses, you know. And my go-to, you know, that's the verse I go to, but I need to know, you know, God is with me and that kind of stuff. And a lot of people have favorite verses. This is my verse for what I believe to be the hardest verse in the whole Bible to obey, the hardest one. And here it is, Matthew 5, 44. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I think that's the single hardest verse in the whole Bible to do. Now, right now, put that person's name in your mind. Who is your enemy? Who is it? I read about a reporter who interviewed a guy at the nursing home on his 100th birthday, and she asked him, you know, what, what's your greatest accomplishment? You live 100 years. What's the greatest thing you've ever done? And he thought about it, and he said, you know what? After 100 years, I... I I can tell you today, I have no enemies. And she said, you have no enemies in 100 years? He said, yes, ma'am, I've outlived every single one of them. <laughs> now, who's your enemy? And I know a lot of us right now, I asked myself that question. I thought, I don't have any enemies. Let me define the enemy. So you walk in this room uh, to go to church this weekend. You walk in here. Who is that person that if you see sitting in this room, that you go sit on the other side of the room. Who is that person? Jesus said this, love them. Now, biblical love is not, hey, I wish you well, you know, I hope you don't get run over by a train today. <laughs> biblical love is action is I'm going to serve you, I'm going to do things that specifically will bring welfare into your life. And Jesus said this. In fact, he said it in the context where he said, if you do that with people who love you, Jesus said this. He goes, that ain't no big deal at all. Do it to an enemy. Why on earth would I do that to an enemy? Because the world stinks at that. And they need us to teach them how to do it. Salt and light. Preaching is a very dangerous business. And you say, come on, man. How dangerous is it to do what you do? Well, here's the danger. Because... On a number of occasions, not every weekend, but a number of occasions, I've been doing this for a long time, this has happened many times, God will put me in a situation to see if I really believe what I'm about to preach. That's why I don't ever preach sermons on patience. Why would I do that? So, a 
couple days ago, my wife and I went out and had dinner together. It was a beautiful evening. The weather's been incredible here. And we went to one of our favorite restaurants, and they got a little area you can eat outside. And we just, man, this is the perfect place to go and eat tonight, enjoy together. And so we go and we have, we have dinner together. Beautiful place. And the tables on their outside area, because they've got so many people out there at that time, they're pretty close to each other. And so the, the tables are only three, four feet apart. And so you kind of got to move chairs to get through there. And we were sitting here and there was a table right next to us, no more than three, four feet away. And there were three young men at the table or four chairs and three young men sitting there. I imagine those young men were maybe 21 something, somewhere around their early college years. And there was one of the young men who was incredibly loud, yelling. He was also off the charts vulgar with his language. I mean, you were hearing things that you just didn't want to hear, and the topic that he was talking about and laughing his head about was just totally, totally inappropriate. And so I'm sitting there and we're trying to enjoy our dinner, beautiful night, you know, and this, this guy over here is doing this and screaming, laughing, and, and words, and, and just, you, you know what I'm talking about. And I'm just, I'm thinking about this sermon, okay? Tolerance, 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 tolerance. And I finally couldn't take it anymore. And so I pushed my chair back and I walked around my table and I went over and I sat in the fourth chair at their table and just sat there. And they looked at me like, who is this guy? And I bent over to the guy that was yelling and all that and I very softly and gently said to him, you see that lady right there? That's my wife. In your language, and what is coming out of your mouth is disrespectful to her, and I don't appreciate it. And someday, young man, you're going to grow up, and you're going to get married, and you're going to know what I'm talking about. And the guy over here, his buddy, one of the most low-class people I've ever run across, interrupted and said, he is grown up. And I looked at him and said, I'm not talking to you, clown. And then I came back to my friend and I said, you're better than that. You're better than that. And I think you're going to be way better than that when you grow up. And I got out of my chair and I went back and we sat down and had our dinner. And we went home that night and I was laying in bed trying to fall asleep, and my mind just kept going back there. And I had a lot of different thoughts about it. There was part of me that was wondering, <laughs> why 
what were you thinking? I mean, those are the things we hear where somebody gets shot. And there was a part of me that I really felt good about. I was glad that I stood up for my wife. I was glad I kept my cool and I spoke gently. I was glad that I encouraged him after I confronted him. But I was consumed in my thinking, could I have done more to impact him about how we treat people? Could I have done more? Could I have done more? And if I had a chance to do it over again, I would have paid for their meal. Why would I do that for a bunch of thugs? Because they need my example. And somebody in your life needs yours. That's what it means to be salt and light. Father, I pray that you will help us to do what goes completely against our nature. That might be people very, very close to us that we love immensely. And it might be complete strangers. But would you help us when we walk out of this room in just a few minutes to leave on mission, to treat people in radical ways that our world desperately, desperately needs to experience. Help us, Lord. Salt, light, help us. In the name of Jesus, I ask.